Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Brownstein's tax team discusses how to read the topography of the tax landscape as we come out of Congress's summer recess and approach the final months of 2023. Bipartisan support for renewing or extending various tax provisions has shown promise for new legislation, yet there's little movement on Capitol Hill since the midterms. Our team talks through which provisions have received the most attention, their path to adoption, and the timeline to watch through the end of the year. Hello and welcome to the Brownstein podcast series. Today, the Brownstein tax team is going to look at the issue and answer the question, what tax laws will pass Congress in 2023? I'm honored to have six of my colleagues here. Let me introduce them to you briefly. First, from uh, Strasburg, Virginia, Charlie Iavino. Charlie, glad to have you. Great to join you, Russ. Next is Rada Mohan, originally from New York City. Welcome, Rada. Thank you, Russ. Next, Harold Hancock from Appleton, Wisconsin. How you doing, Harold? Go Pack Go, Russ. Next, we have Dave Ransom, the new guy from Waterloo, Iowa. Welcome. Good to be here, Russ. Next, Mark Warren, Orange County, California. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Thanks, Russ. And Rosemary Becky from Philadelphia. Welcome, Rosemary. Thanks, Russ. Looking forward to the conversation. Good. And I'm Russ Sullivan. I'm your moderator from Little Rock, Arkansas, and chair the Brownstein National Tax Policy Group. All right, let's begin. Charlie, would you tell us why we're here today? Why is Congress considering tax legislation with just one year after it passed a significant tax bill called the Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA? That's a great question, Russ. The Inflation Reduction Act, passed under a special process known as budget reconciliation, which requires only a simple majority vote in the Senate. All the Democrats voted for that bill and the Republicans opposed, with Vice President Harris breaking the tie. Unfortunately, this follows a recent trend that we have seen of enacting major tax law changes with the support of only one party the Affordable Care Act passed by the Democrats in 2011, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act passed by the Republicans in 2017, and the American Rescue Plan Act passed by the Democrats in 2021 are other well-known examples. When one party is pushing through big changes, Russ, politically the other side just won't help. There are three corporate tax fixes that many Republicans would like to see two dating from 2022 and one that expired beginning of this year. But to get those changes made, they will need to be paired with changes that Democrats want. Since reconciliation is not being used this year, any changes would have to have bipartisan support to pass in the Senate where 60 votes are needed. There is some bipartisan support for the tax provisions In addition, there are a handful of regular tax extenders that would need to be considered if there is a tax title at the end of this year. So now what? While Republicans would like to make these three changes permanent, fixing them would cost a lot of money. And there needs to be a deal with Democrats to offer something they want. The D's want an ARPA-like child tax credit, but this is very costly. In this environment, where deficit reduction is a concern, there is likely to be an effort to extend the three business provisions through 2025 
to line those up with the other TCJA provisions that expire then and to pair this with a much smaller CTC. And I would add that fixing the tax provisions retroactively is not optimal for business tax planning, but it has been successfully done in the past. All right, great, Charlie. Thanks for setting the table. Let's go to uh, maybe Harold to talk about these business provisions that Republicans are interested in, Charlie. Harold, what are the provisions and and, uh, tell us what they mean? Sure, Russ. There are three provisions that recently became worse for taxpayers that relate to TCJA. Uh, One is how you do treat R&D costs. Um, Prior to this year, you could uh, expense those immediately. Uh, Now you have to amortize it over a five-year period. The second one is bonus depreciation. It just stepped down from 100 to 80. It has become very much accepted by Republicans that you need to be at 100% uh, expensing for business assets that you place in service. So that is the second one. The third one has to do with the interest limitation that was part of TCJA. This is under Section 163J. Prior to this year, you had a larger base, which included depreciation and amortization, to determine the percentage of interest you could deduct. That has gone away as well. And in all of these cases, taxpayers are hurt by this. Uh, In particular, I think the largest item that people have focused in on is the R&D expense. So, Harold, is it all for one and one for all? Or is there a rank order that Republicans really care about some of these more than others? Yes, I I think the order is R&D bonus and then 163J. However, I do believe that they will all go together. All right. Dave, uh, what do Democrats think about these things, really? There, there, there are business-friendly Democrats, Russ, as you know. And, uh, it, you know, perhaps surprising to, to some people, um, there's really bipartisan support, for example. Um, when you look at the R&D expensing provision, you know, there's a House bill in it's it's it was introduced by uh, Congressman Estes, who's on the Ways and Means Committee, a Republican from Kansas. And the coast, you know, the main co-sponsor is John Larson, a Democrat from Connecticut. I mean, they have 137 co-sponsors on their bill. It's roughly split between the two parties. And there's a Senate bill um, very similar offered by uh, Senator Hassan from from New Hampshire and Senator Young, a Republican from Indiana. And, and again, they have 37 co-sponsors in the Senate on the Senate bill, which is very significant. So um, and it's split roughly between the two parties. So Democrats generally support R&D expensing, you know, uh, immediate expensing, uh, extending that. If Republicans were not pushing for these provisions, would some Democrats stand up and say, we need to pass this? I think the answer, Russ, is definitely yes. It might not be their top priority, but I think I think the answer is yes. And would you say that's on the R&D and the bonus depreciation? Would you even say it's for the interest expense? Because I have my doubts about that one. Um, I agree with you, Russ. I have my doubts about it as well. Uh, previously, Democrats have been opposed to bonus depreciation if it, there was not an economic emergency. Uh, that was one of the go-tos is you could increase the ability to depreciate assets. But I think that a lot of them have come around to a high level of depreciation. 
and it may not go back to 100, but I think they will, there would probably be a lot of support among Democrats to limit the step downs. So instead of going to 60 next year, they might keep it at 80. And Russ, on the interest, go ahead, Martin. I think there's also the issue about high interest rates right now. You know, so to the extent that you're having to kind of or businesses are having to refinance or take out new debt for what they want to do. And a lot of these you know, new energy projects uh, are going to have different sources of capital. Um, having a tighter interest limitation and rising interest rates is going to be a problem, you know, regardless of your political party. So you're saying that if they do come back and uh, extend the old law, that it probably costs more now that interest rates are are five points higher than they were maybe a year or two ago? Yeah, I'm sure JCT, uh, when they scored the bill, because, uh, you know, this is uh, in in the uh, Chairman Smith's uh, package from the Ways and Means markup uh, back in June. Uh, I'm sure they factored that in because interest rates were already uh, elevated at that point. Okay, so those are some of the key provisions on the business side. Let's move to the individual side. W- what tax cuts are there for individuals? Rada, talk to us about these and where did they come from? Russ, there are a lot of tax cuts for individuals that were enacted as part of the TCJA. I'm going to focus on on the top five provisions and just keep in mind that, again, all of these are going to expire at the end of 2025. In terms of individuals, the income tax rates are going to revert to pre-TCJA or 2017 levels. That basically means for the top bracket, rates will return to 39.6% versus 30 and a return to the previous income brackets as well. Again, for the top rate, that means $480,000 for the income bracket versus $600,000 under current law. The TCJA also eliminated the personal exemption in favor of doubling the standard deduction. Uh, In 2025, the standard deduction will essentially be cut in half, and then the personal exemption will return. Um, The personal exemption, I think, was around $4,150 at the time for individuals. One thing to note is in the most recent proposal that House Republicans put forward, they would have temporarily expanded the federal standard deduction for 2024 and 2025 only. They would have increased it by about $2,000 for for individuals and about $4,000 for married joint filers. In addition to that, the TCJA also doubled the estate tax exemption to about $11.2 million for single filers and $22.4 million for couples. The top tax rate remained at 40% both under the TCJA and prior to the TCJA as well. The Fourth provision is a cap on the state and local tax deduction that will essentially dissolve the TCJA, limit it to about $10,000. And then finally, the provision that receives the most interest and uh, the most attention is, of course, the child tax credit. The TCJA increased the the CTC from $1,000 to $2,000 starting in 2018. It also increased the refundable portion of the credit, limiting it to about $1,400 per child and indexed this amount only, not the total credit, to inflation. 
Unlike prior law, the TCJA also limited eligibility for the credit to children who have a valid social security number and extended the credit to higher income families as well. So the threshold became $400,000 versus $110,000 prior to the enactment of the TCJA. It also created a new non-refundable $500 credit for other dependents. So, for example, children who are too old to take advantage of the CTC or those who lacked a social security number. Russ, the, the last thing that I'll note on the individual provisions is that Democrats also made significant changes to the child tax credit as part of the American Rescue Plan Act. However, those changes were even further time limited. They were only effective for a year. And the changes made by Democrats would have essentially essentially expanded the value of the credit to $3,000 per child for children who are older than five and $3,600 for children under five. And this is really the provision, the CTC more broadly is the provision that both parties are interested in extending. What they're unable to reach a deal on is how much should the amount actually increase and what should the length of the extension be? All right, great summary. But how many of you think that the rates and the standard deduction, well, the standard deduction is in play because the Republicans proposed, but the rates and the estate tax, does anybody think those are in play for a bill for this year since they don't expire till the end of 2025? Russ, I, I do not. If I were the Democrats, remember I'm a Republican, I would not get into those issues because they're not ripe. Those don't need to be dealt with until 2025. Okay, so the main ones that are in play uh, is the increase in the standard deduction that the Ways and Means Committee passed, the SALT issue, although not in the bill, but will uh, be considered because we've got members on both sides that are interested in that, and then the child tax credit. Uh, Mark, can you give us any sort of range of scope here? Let, let's say that that Jason Smith and Ron Wyden, the, the chairs of the two tax writing committees, that they sit down and try to come up with a framework. What's the balance? What's the relative cost of these business provisions versus some of these individual provisions from a budgetary perspective? And you can say however you want to. You can assume we're only talking a two-year extension through 2025, if you'd like. Yeah, I, I think really what we have to go off of is is what the Ways and Means Committee uh, reported out in June, you know, and that would have extended those three business provisions through the end of uh, 2025. It was about 47 billion dollars. I think on the on the individual side, obviously the focus has been heavily on the child tax credit. There there are other provisions that have been discussed, like affordable housing. There's a temporary uh, increase in the low-income housing tax credit uh, that expired. Uh, that they there's been a lot of talk about trying to, you know, boost that back up. Um, you know, I I think for trying to strike a balance with the Democrats saying that they want you know rough parity between the individual cuts, whatever that is, and these three provisions. Let's call that forty, you know, five forty-seven billion dollars. Um, it, it's it's really going to come down to 
you know, in particular, the big ticket item being the child tax credit, how, how do you structure that? Does the, the, the Democratic side uh, demand both um, dollar figure parity and time length parity? That's going to be really challenging um, if, if what you're trying to do is, is also reach certain levels. You know, so I think there, the, the good news is with the child tax credit is there are lots of dials uh, that you can use. And there is also, I think, a fair amount of support on both sides of the aisle. Um, you know, everything from moving up, you know, specific dollar amounts to going back to kind of the monthly credit uh, delivery system. Senator Grassley's got a provision to index uh, the amounts for inflation, which might also be attractive in this uh, inflationary environment that we're talking about. So th there's a lot of maneuvering room. Um, and, you know, JCT is going to have to sit down and crunch the numbers for you know what whatever that structure of, of the child tax credit uh, extension looks like as well as you know if they add anything else in like on on affordable housing or if they want to go back and extend the earned income tax credit okay well toss up to the group so if if they are going to try to have sort of total dollar parity so 50 billion for business 50 billion for individuals uh, do you think they're likely to just do the child tax credit or on the individual side, is it going to have to be a combination of that and the increase in the standard deduction, which Republicans have proposed? And where does LIHTC fit in this? And I'll take a stab at it. I think the increase in the standard deduction was put in uh, at the Ways and Means Committee as a way to, uh, to address the, the SALT debate. Um, you know, because in effect, increasing the standard deduction covers more uh, more people at the low and middle end uh, who have higher state taxes. At the end of the day, this for this package to pass, it's going to have to be bipartisan. So, if there are a handful of members on both sides of the aisle who are you know no bill, no salt uh, kind of positions, if it's a bipartisan package that has enough uh, support then you know they they can they can move this forward without having to address either the standard deduction or the salt issue so russ i'm going to agree with mark that i do think that we'll see come some kind of increase in the standard deduction I don't think we'll see any kind of relief on the SALT cap. Um, I think there's too much controversy and too much debate around it. And so I think that the chairman has come up with a solution that um, satisfies enough of his members on the committee um, and throughout the House. Russ, my answer is um, I, I tend to agree with him, but I, I'd say, what is my budget? because I assume this is going to be offset. So how much money do I have? And secondly, how many votes do I need to buy? If I need to buy more votes and I can do that by um, looking at the standard deduction, then that's what I'm going to do. If I don't have the budget, then I might have to get more creative. All right. Uh, next question. The IRS has been central to a lot of these tax debates in great part because Democrats put it on the table as a quote unquote, pay for in the uh, context of the Inflation Reduction Act. We can debate whether giving the IRS $80 billion actually produces revenue above the cost, but in the end, there was a score attached with that. 
my question for, for those of you who uh, are experts in the tax administration area, uh, is the same thing going to happen this fall? Is IRS going to be central here? Are we going to have a debate over whether to carve back or add money to their enforcement uh, budget in order to uh, be included in this bill or are those days passed? Dave, we'll start with you. I think it's going to be part of the debate. I think that, um, you know, the Republicans are, um, you know, have reasons that <laughs> that they're going to go after the IRS again. And they have a track record here. It's part of the debt limit extension where they clawed back roughly $21 billion of the uh, $80 billion that was appropriated in the IRA and the Inflation Reduction Act. So I do think there'll be a fight over it. I don't know how significant it will be in comparison to the, you know, fight that's going to occur this fall over appropriations measures um, and, and probably result in an omnibus uh, uh, bill, appropriations bill. But I do think there will be, uh, you know, a continued fight over this. Republicans, for example, you know, they're, they focused on the IRS and what they regard as um, uh, mistreatment of agents involved in the Hunter Biden case, you know, the, the destroy, they still haven't gotten an answer on on the destruction of 30 million uh, information returns. They haven't gotten an answer uh, despite repeatedly asking on, uh, you know, how, how is it that wealthy Americans, several affluent Americans, you know, personal tax return information tumbled out of the public domain and the press. So, you know, those are legitimate questions, concerns about IRS. On the other hand, Democrats um, are going to argue as you as you set the table, Russ, that that the return on investment um, uh, with the eighty billion or now sixty billion appropriated for IRS that that's the return on investment is going to be significant. So I think what a lot of listeners should key in on is is what IRS is going to do with a significant share of that extra revenue, assuming they get it, is ramp up audits, both on the corporate side and on individuals. So that's something that anyone listening to this should pay particular attention to. Rosemary, you worked at the IRS. What are your thoughts on this? So there is an appropriate level of funding, and and certainly Congress needs to figure out what that is. And there's a lot of factors that are at play here. You know, first and foremost, um, you know, staffing is way down. And at the same time, you know, we've got a growing uh, uh, tax gap in this country. It last estimate was about $600 billion per year. So there is an appropriate level of funding that is necessary to, you know, combat these issues. And, and a big part of it, too, is, you know, training. Um, I, I listen to all the things um, that happen at the IRS or, or the accusations, and, and it is pretty clear that we should be doing a little bit more to train agents um, so that they can, you know, do their jobs. All right. A question for everyone. Go, go around. Just, just give a number. If we're sitting here, let's say... In uh, 2030, seven years from now, how much money of this $80 billion will the IRS really have gotten or be still scheduled to get? I want an actual number. Dave mentioned that Republicans took $20 billion on the appropriations, but Democrats agreed to that amount, too, and Biden signed it into law. So 
what is your number of how much of this money is actually going to end up going to the IRS? We'll start with you, Rada. Just a number. It's already down to $59 billion, right? So I think it can only go down from there. I want a specific guess. Oh, no. Um, $40 billion. $40 billion. Charlie? I say it's going to be a little higher. I say $50 billion. Mark Warren? I'm going with $30 billion to cover technology costs only. Rosemary Becky? $20 billion. Down to 20. We keep going down. Ransom, are you going down? I think 35 billion, and particularly given the deficit situation and debt situation we find ourselves in. Harold. I'm with Rosemary. 20 billion. Uh, you're wrong. The correct answer is Mark Warren's 30 billion just for principally for technology. Rada, you on a challenge? No, I was just gonna say technology and then obviously the taxpayer service piece of it. And I, I wonder if at some point that'll be the bucket that that they realize they, they put the least amount of funding into, and whereas it should have been the bucket that they put the, the most funding into. I agree with that. Yeah, you're absolutely right on that point. So what else do we have? Surely the bill can't all be about extending expired provisions or slightly modifying existing law. Surely there's some new ideas that are in the House Republican bill or Democrats have introduced legislation or there's bipartisan bills that might make it in. Yeah, Russ, I'll give you one area that has started to bubble up as a potential, and that is commercial and retail real estate. Um, one of the things that's happened, and it's, it's sort of accelerated by COVID, but not entirely COVID-related, a lot of properties have declined in value. And there's a growing need to do debt work workouts for those properties and or repurpose them. So there are a couple of ideas floating around. One is to encourage commercial real estate to be turned into housing. Uh, others to provide more relief on any cancellation indebtedness related to those workouts. Uh, and by the way, you mentioned this earlier, there's almost always a desire, especially among Democrats, to do something around low-income housing. Uh, or even just affordable housing generally, which I think in a lot of areas of the country is is actually needed. So I'm just throwing out that this is a potential sort of package you could see coming together to deal with real estate. And Russ, I think another area uh, kind of coming out of the pandemic uh, was this whole issue facing the uh, the auto dealers um, that are on the, the last in, first out, or LIFO method of accounting. You know, they... they that, that whole method is is basically designed to kind of match uh, the replacement cost of of inventory with you know the, the current cost and if you don't continue to maintain your inventory levels um, you have to pay tax on the deferred revenue uh, on on uh, from the the matching of those costs and you know for the most part uh, you know, businesses that are on lifo can can predict how how that inventory is going to work out and uh, you know delay um, or avoid having to recapture uh, the, the, the that deferred tax but in covid because of the supply chain problems um, especially in the chips area uh, and it really kind of dried up uh, inventory in in auto uh, in, in cars and trucks 
Um, and a lot of these dealers were were forced, you know, into a position of ending up paying tax uh, where they couldn't restore the inventory. So there's legislation out there, basically just to give them um, another couple of years uh, through the end of uh, 2024. Um, to replace that inventory without having to get penalized uh, under the LIFO recapture. So uh, very strong bipartisan uh, support. The Senate actually passed the bill by unanimous consent uh, in the closing hours of, of 2022. Um, and it wasn't time, I guess, for the House to take that up. Um, so I could, I could see that one. Uh, it's got a relatively small uh, revenue effect to it. Uh, so I could see that getting added to to a package like this that comes together at the end of the year. All right, good. What else? I'll add one more. Um, I think depending on how things go with um, the implementation of a lot of these energy provisions, um, you know, the, this this package could be a place where, um, there'll be, uh, you know, an effort to try to resolve uh, some of the positions that Treasury takes. Again, this may be too partisan, given that it's coming out of uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. But, you know, depending on the area, there, there's pretty broad support for carbon capture and hydrogen uh, on both sides of the aisle. And, you know, for instance, if the hydrogen credit isn't implemented uh, correctly uh, or there's a, you know, uh, there's some issues uh, that have been flagged on on carbon capture, you know, with kind of the the parity uh, in, in the credit amounts that are uh, provided for different uses of carbon. Um, you know, that, that's another area where, in the right circumstances, a, a year-end discussion uh, could be a, a landing spot for some of those kind of uh, new new provisions. And Russ, I'm going to answer your question slightly differently which is I think we have a pretty good sense with these other additions and add-ons of the universe. But I think you pointed this out earlier. So if you're trying to match up business and individual provisions, the thing to watch out for is how do they do that, right? I think there might have to be some very creative uh, drafting and ideas to sort of make all of that work and get everyone on the same page. Good. Harold, let me follow up with you. Do you think it's more likely that Congress would do something in the energy tax space in this bill if Treasury issues regulations that don't work or if Treasury just doesn't issue regulations and we're in late November and, and nothing has happened? I think it depends on what the area is. So one of the hot button issues that I think in a bipartisan way, though it's always different, that people want to really see work is hydrogen. I think if, those gui if that guidance comes out particularly bad, there'll probably be bipartisan support to do something. The other area where we've seen bipartisan concern has to do with procedure or jurisdiction, which is Treasury um, is taking a much more liberal view of the words free trade agreement, because there's some exceptions to the rules that involve free trade agreements. There's been a proposal um, to claw the authority to deal with treaties back into the Senate. All right, good discussion. Now let's move on to politics and how to get a bill done. Rosemary, what are some of the issues that factors surrounding the debate and the negotiation of this tax bill, which could be determinative as whether it actually passes or not? Look, I, I think at the end of the day, um, all politics are local. 
And I think that um, the members will find themselves, those in the House that are obviously all of them up for re-election, and then those in the Senate who are up in 2024 are going to need to go home and and show that they've accomplished something. And I think that that's going to be something that's, you know, important to to the voters, Um, you know, with with the high cost of living, inflation, rising interest rates, things like that, it is in all likelihood the economic issues um, that will drive the election in 2024. And obviously, we've got it'll be a presidential year, so we've got um, people at the top of the ticket all the way down. And and as I said, the economic issues are likely going to drive voters um, to get out, and they'll be asking the questions of as am I better off today than I was two or four years ago and and so that's going to drive some of this and I think that in coming up with the package you know the house is thinking about that 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 constituents want to see um, that that they're the members they have sent to Washington have ap- actually accomplished something and that was the the strategy I think that Democrats in the Senate uh, really tried in the last Congress was let's actually pass something, even if it's compromise, that includes some Republican priorities. You see that on the infrastructure bill and other pieces of legislation as well. Do, do folks agree with what uh, Rosemary has, has laid out here? Or are there some other factors that are going to be determined? I generally agree, Russ. There are a number of Republicans in the House in particular who have no problem going and campaigning on the investigating Hunter Biden and other tangential issues. But there's more, I think, that are going to realize exactly what Rosemary just said, is that when you go back to talk to people in your district, they're going to say, well, what, what did you do? How have you tried to help me? My cost for gas, for food, for all of these things have gone up. Well, maybe they pass an increase in the standard deduction. That would be nice, right? that would be something you can point to. Uh, And it's a little different, in my opinion, the dynamics in the Senate. Uh, I think more generally, senators get this, and both sides are going to want to do everything they can to help their candidates. All right. Finally, what's the vehicle? How does this pass? Does it pass on an appropriations bill? Um, what if there's not an omnibus? What if there's just a big bill like HHS, Labor HHS, or something like that? Could it pass on the defense authorization bill? Tax provisions have not done that before, but it might still be lurking around at the time. Or can it pass by itself? Is there a way that this tax bill could be processed through regular order or something close to it? What do you think? I think the chances on regular order, I mean, it's it's really rare, especially if you need bipartisanship uh, to see a tax bill go by itself. Um, I, I think you're the, the, the better shot, even even if the year end is uh, you know going to end up being largely a continuing resolution. You know, we've we've done so-called cromneys, a combination of a continuing resolution and an omnibus for, you know, part or, or a partial, um, you know, where, where they've gotten a few bills done, but there's still things that are left. That's what they do the, the, the rest of the year CR on. Uh, I think that the issue is really going to be, you know, do they have enough votes to get that appropriations bill passed? And 
you know, how strong is that vote? Or in, is this going to be one of those unusual cases where having hopefully a bipartisan, bicameral tax package could actually be a, a, a vote getter, um, you know, to help move the, the overall package along? NDAA? Viable or no? I'm not so sure, Russ. It's so it would be so odd to have tax on the NDAA. And by the way, if you don't get to a crummy omnibus type situation, that will sort of be an indication that things have fallen apart to the extent that it's going to be difficult to add anything to NDAA. All right. Thank you all very much for your comments. We're going to close with predictions. So I want to go around the table. Um, Tell us something that's going to happen between now and December 31st of this year about this tax bill. can be a provision that's a surprise inclusion, a surprise exclusion, some champion that emerges, impact of the campaign on it, a surprising score from joint tax, or anything else that hits your imagination. So who'd like to go first? Harold. All right. My prediction is it will be fully offset. It will be offset by a, some kind of a surprise that no one's going to like, uh, and it will pass on December 22nd. Multiple predictions. Very good. Charlie. I predict that the unusual alliance of uh, the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee and the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, their alliance will end up moving all three of the tax provisions in addition to the child tax credit because Wyden is going to be intrigued by the focus on families, farms, and small business. And that's going to bring um, folks to the table. Dave. I actually agree with Charlie. I think there will be, uh, uh, I think the three main uh, business tax provisions that Harold addressed those will, those will be enacted as well as some form of the child tax credit. I think it's going to be later than uh, December 22nd. I think it's likely the last week, <laughs> the last week of the year, and it will be in an omnibus, in my opinion. Rosemary. Hey, I have several predictions here. So I agree we're going to see an omnibus. I agree it'll be late in the year. I do think that we've got some off-year elections going on in New Jersey and Virginia that I think might be an influence here. Really do. It's either going to motivate people or it's going to cause them to dig in a little bit, depending on uh, which way things go. So I'll, I'll throw that in there, too. Mark. I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of the contrary view and say it doesn't get done this year. It, it slips into the beginning of next year and that it is not entirely offset, that we go back to the uh, theory that to the extent that it's an extension of temporary policy, you don't have to pay for it. And if it's new, that you got to have an offset. And that will reduce uh, the, the battle over the offsets, which I think are going to be uh, pretty heated. And finding $100 billion uh, of tax increases in effect is going to be a real challenge. Rada. I'm with Mark on that one. I think that they will try to reach a deal. And I think many of the common problems that have arisen in the past as they try to, you know, attempt parity between the business provisions and the individual provisions will ultimately prevail. And you won't wind up with a deal. 
That said, if there is a deal, I think the low-hanging fruit would essentially be a correction of the third-party settlement organization provision. So essentially the 1099K provision, I I think that is ripe for inclusion uh, because no one wants to see the no one wants to see the six hundred the six hundred dollar threshold stay in place, and Democrats don't want to see a return to the uh, to the pre ARPA thresholds either. So I, I think that one will get included. All right, I predict that the bill will be fully offset, and it will be offset by a combination of both tax increases as well as spending cuts. The Democrats will agree to that. There'll be more revenue than there will be spending cuts. And finally, at some point, the auto dealers will get frustrated with lack of progress and they will move their provision under suspension in the House and it will pass as a separate provision. That's all for today. Thank you all very much for your comments. We look forward to future discussions about tax policy on the Brownstein podcast series. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.